Section 56 of Volume 1b of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Richard Carpenter. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume. Volume 1b section fifty six chapter twenty three part two these acts of violence exercised against all the nearest connections of the late king prognosticated the severest fate to his defenceless children and after the murder of hastings the protector no longer made a secret of his intention to usurp the crown the licentious life of edward who was not restrained in his pleasures either by honour or prudence afforded a pretense for declaring his marriage with the queen invalid and all his posterity illegitimate it was asserted that before espousing the lady elizabeth gray he had paid court to the lady eleanor talbot daughter of the earl of shrewsbury and being repulsed by the virtue of that lady he was obliged ere he could gratify his desires to consent to a private marriage without any witnesses by stillington bishop of bath who afterwards divulged the secret it was also maintained that the act of attainder passed against the duke of clarence had virtually incapacitated his children from succeeding to the crown and these two families being set aside the protector remained the only true and legitimate heir of the house of york but as it would be difficult if not impossible to prove the preceding marriage of the late king and as the rule which excludes the heirs of an attainted blood from private successions was never extended to the crown the protector resolved to make use of another plea still more shameful and scandalous his partisans were taught to maintain that both edward the fourth and the duke of clarence were illegitimate that the duchess of york had received different lovers into her bed who were the father of these children that their resemblance to those gallants was a sufficient proof of their spurious birth and that the duke of gloucester alone of all her sons appeared by his features and countenance to be a true offspring of the duke of york nothing can be imagined more imprudent than an assertion which threw so foul an imputation on his own mother a princess of irreproachable virtue and then alive yet the place chosen for first promulgating it was the pulpit before a large congregation and in the protector's presence dr shaw was appointed to preach in st paul's and having chosen this passage for his text bastard lips shall not thrive he enlarged on all topics which could discredit the birth of edward the fourth the duke of clarence and of all their children he then broke out in a panegyric on the duke of gloucester and exclaimed behold this excellent prince the express image of his noble father the genuine descendant of the house of york bearing no less in virtues of his mind than in the features of his countenance the character of the gallant richard once your hero and favourite he alone is entitled to your allegiance he must deliver you from the dominion of all intruders he alone can restore the lost glory and honour of the nation it was previously concerted that as the doctor should pronounce these words the duke of gloucester should enter the church and it was expected that the audience would cry out god save king richard 
which would immediately have been laid hold of as a popular consent and interpreted to be the voice of the nation but by a ridiculous mistake worthy of the whole scene the duke did not appear till after his exclamation was already recited by the preacher the doctor was therefore obliged to repeat his rhetorical figure out of its proper place the audience less from the absurd conduct of the discourse than from their detestation of these proceedings kept a profound silence and the protector and his preacher were equally abashed at the ill success of their stratagem but the duke was too far advanced to recede from his criminal and ambitious purpose a new expedient was tried to work on the people the mayor who was brother to dr shaw and entirely in the protector's interest called an assembly of the citizens where the duke of buckingham who possessed some talents for eloquence harangued them on the protector's title to the crown and displayed those numerous virtues of which he pretended that prince was possessed he next asked them whether they would have the duke for king and then stopped in expectation of hearing the cry god save king richard he was surprised to observe them silent and turning about to the mayor asked him the reason the mayor replied that perhaps they did not understand him buckingham then repeated his discourse with some variation enforced the same topics asked the same question and was received with the same silence i now see the cause said the mayor the citizens are not accustomed to being harangued by any but their recorder and know not how to answer a person of your grace's quality the recorder fitzwilliams was then commanded to repeat the substance of the duke's speech but the man who was adverse to the office took care throughout his whole discourse to have it understood that he spoke nothing of himself and that he only conveyed to them the sense of the duke of buckingham still the audience kept a profound silence this is a wonderful obstinacy cried the duke express your meaning my friends one way or the other when we apply to you on this occasion it is merely from the regard which we bear you the lords and commons have sufficient authority without your consent to appoint a king but i require you here to declare in plain terms whether or not you will have the duke of gloucester for your sovereign after these efforts some of the meanest apprentices incited by the protector and buckingham's servants raised a feeble cry god save king richard the sentiments of the nation were now sufficiently declared the voice of the people was the voice of god and buckingham with the mayor hastened to barnard's castle where the protector then resided that they might make him a tender of the crown when richard was told that a great multitude was in the court he refused to appear to them and pretended to be apprehensive for his personal safety a circumstance taken notice of by buckingham who observed to the citizens that the prince was ignorant of the whole design at last he was persuaded to step forth but he still kept at some distance and he asked the meaning of their intrusion and importunity buckingham told him that the nation was resolved to have him for king the protector declared his purpose of maintaining his loyalty to the present sovereign and exhorted them to adhere to the same resolution he was told that the people had determined to have another prince and if he rejected their unanimous voice 
they must look out for one who would be more compliant this argument was too powerful to be resisted and he was prevailed on to accept of the crown and he thenceforth acted as legitimate and rightful sovereign this ridiculous farce was soon after followed by a scene truly tragical the murder of the two young princes richard gave orders to sir robert brackenbury constable of the tower to put his nephews to death but this gentleman who had sentiments of honour refused to have any hand in the infamous office the tyrant then sent sir james tyrrell who promised obedience and he ordered brackenbury to resign to this gentleman the keys and government of the tower for one night tyrrell choosing three associates slater dighton and forrest came in the night-time to the door of the chamber where the princes were lodged and sending in the assassins he bade them execute their commission while he himself stayed without they found the young princes in bed and fallen into a profound sleep after suffocating them with the bolster and pillows they showed their naked bodies to tyrrell who ordered them to be buried at the foot of the stairs deep in the ground under a heap of stones these circumstances were all confessed by the actors in the following reign and they were never punished for the crime probably because henry whose maxims of government were extremely arbitrary desired to establish it as a principle that the commands of the reigning sovereign ought to justify every enormity in those who paid obedience to them but there is one circumstance not so easy to be accounted for it is pretended that richard displeased with the indecent manner of burying his nephews whom he had murdered gave his chaplain orders to dig up their bodies and to inter them in consecrated ground and as the man died soon after the place of their burial remained unknown and the bodies could never be found by any search which henry could make for them yet in the reign of charles the second when there was occasion to remove some stones and to dig in the very spot which was mentioned as the place of their first interment the bones of two persons were found which by their size exactly corresponded to the age of edward and his brother they were concluded with certainty to be the remains of those princes and were interred under a marble monument by the orders of king charles perhaps richard's chaplain had died before he found an opportunity of executing his master's commands and the bodies being supposed to be already removed a diligent search was not made for them by henry in the place where they had been buried richard the third the first acts of richard's administration were to bestow rewards on those who had assisted him in usurping the crown and to gain by favours those who he thought were best able to support his future government thomas lord howard was created duke of norfolk sir thomas howard his son earl of surrey lord lovell a viscount by the same name even lord stanley was set at liberty and made steward of the household this nobleman had become obnoxious by his first opposition to richard's view and also by his marrying the countess dowager of richmond heir of the somerset family but sensible of the necessity of submitting to the present government he feigned such zeal for richard's service that he was received into favour and even found means to be entrusted with the most important commands by that politic and jealous tyrant 
but the person who both from the greatness of his service and the power and splendor of his family was best entitled to favors under the new government was the duke of buckingham and richard seemed determined to spare no pains or bounty in securing him to his interests buckingham was descended from a daughter of thomas woodstock duke of gloucester uncle to richard the second and by this pedigree he not only was allied to the royal family but had claims for dignities as well as estates of a very extensive nature the duke of gloucester and henry earl of derby afterwards henry the fourth had married the two daughters and co-heirs of bohun earl of hereford one of the greatest of the ancient barons whose immense property came thus to be divided into two shares one was inherited by the family of buckingham the other was united to the crown by the house of lancaster and after the attainder of that royal line was seized as legally devolved to them by the sovereigns of the house of york the duke of buckingham laid hold of the present opportunity and claimed the restitution of that portion of the hereford estate which had escheated to the crown as well as the great office of constable which had long continued by inheritance in his ancestors of that family richard readily complied with these demands which were probably the price stipulated to buckingham for his assistance in promoting the usurpation that nobleman was invested with the office of constable he received a grant of the estate of hereford many other dignities and honors were conferred upon him and the king thought himself sure of preserving the fidelity of a man whose interests seemed so closely connected with those of the present government but it was impossible that friendship could long remain inviolate between two men of such corrupt minds as richard and the duke of buckingham historians ascribe their first rupture to the king's refusal of making restitution of the hereford estate but it is certain from records that he passed a grant for that purpose and that the full demands of buckingham were satisfied in this particular perhaps richard was soon sensible of the danger which might ensue from conferring such an immense property on a man of so turbulent a disposition and afterwards raised difficulties about the execution of his own grant perhaps he refused some other demands of buckingham who he found it impossible to gratify for his past services perhaps he resolved according to the usual maxim of politicians to seize the first opportunity of ruining this powerful subject who had been the principal instrument of his own elevation and the discovery of this intention begat the first discontent in the duke of buckingham however this may be it is certain that the duke soon after richard's accession began to form a conspiracy against the government and attempted to overthrow that usurpation which he himself had so zealously contributed to establish never was there in any country a usurpation more flagrant than that of richard or more repugnant to every principle of justice and public interest his claim was entirely founded on impudent allegations never attempted to be proved some of them incapable of proof and all of them implying scandalous reflections on his own family and on the persons with whom he was the most nearly connected his title was never acknowledged by any national assembly scarcely even by the lowest populace to whom he appealed and it had become prevalent merely for the want of some person of distinction who might stand forth against him and give a voice to those sentiments of general detestation which arose in every bosom 
were men disposed to pardon these violations of public right the sense of private and domestic duty which it is not to be effaced in the most barbarous times must have begotten an abhorrence against him and have represented the murder of the young and innocent princes his nephews with whose protection he had been entrusted in the most odious colours imaginable to endure such a bloody usurper seemed to draw disgrace upon the nation and to be attended with immediate danger to every individual who was distinguished by birth merit or services such was become the general voice of the people all parties were united in the same sentiments and the lancastrians so long oppressed and of late so much discredited felt their blasted hopes again revive and anxiously expected the consequences of these extraordinary events the duke of buckingham whose family had been devoted to that interest and who by his mother a daughter of edmund duke of somerset was allied to the house of lancaster was easily induced to espouse the cause of this party and to endeavour the restoring of it to its ancient superiority morton bishop of ely a zealous lancastrian whom the king had imprisoned and had afterwards committed to the custody of buckingham encouraged these sentiments and by his exhortations the duke cast his eyes towards the young earl of richmond as the only person who could free the nation from the tyranny of the present usurper henry earl of richmond was at this time detained in a kind of honourable custody by the duke of brittany and his descent which seems to give him some pretensions to the crown had been a great object of jealousy both in the late and in the present reign john the first duke of somerset who was grandson of john of gaunt by a spurious branch but legitimated by act of parliament had only one daughter margaret and his younger brother edmund had succeeded him in his titles and in a considerable part of his fortune margaret had espoused edmund earl of richmond half-brother of henry the sixth and son of a sir owen tudor and catherine of france relict of henry the fifth and she bore him only one son who received the name henry and who after his father's death inherited the honours and fortune of richmond his mother being a widow had espoused in second marriage sir henry stafford uncle to buckingham and after the death of that gentleman had married lord stanley but had no children by either of these husbands and her son henry was thus in the event of her death the sole heir of all of her fortunes but this was not the most considerable advantage which he had reason to expect from her secession he would represent the elder branch of the house of somerset he would inherit all the title of that family to the crown and though its claim while any legitimate branch subsisted of the house of lancaster had always been much disregarded the zeal of faction after the death of henry the sixth and the murder of prince edward immediately conferred a weight and consideration upon it edward the fourth finding that all the lancastrians had turned their attentions toward the young earl of richmond as the object of their hopes thought him also worthy of his attention and pursued him into his retreat in brittany whither his uncle the earl of pembroke had carried him after the battle of tewkesbury so fatal to his party he applied to francis the second duke of brittany who was his ally a weak but a good prince and urged him 
to deliver up this fugitive who might be the source of future disturbances in england but the duke was averse to so dishonourable a proposal would only consent that for the security of edward the young nobleman should be detained in custody and he received an annual pension from england for the safe-keeping or the subsistence of his prisoner but towards the end of edward's reign when the kingdom was menaced with a war both from france and scotland the anxieties of the english court with regard to henry were much increased and edward made a new proposal to the duke which covered under the fairest appearances the most bloody and treacherous intentions he pretended that he was desirous of gaining his enemy and of uniting him to his own family by a marriage with his daughter elizabeth and he solicited to have him sent over to england in order to execute a scheme which would redound so much to his advantage these pretences seconded as is supposed by bribes to peter landis a corrupt minister by whom the duke was entirely governed gained credit with the court of brittany henry was delivered into the hands of the english agents he was ready to embark when a suspicion of edward's real design was suggested to the duke who recalled his orders and thus saved the unhappy youth from the imminent danger which hung over him end of section fifty six chapter twenty three part two recording by richard carpenter in seattle washington